0: This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis, and happy 2023. You are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WIXR Radio 91.7 FM. And I am aware that it is already January 10th, dear listener, but it is also our first episode back for this new year. So it is worth restating. Happy, happy new year. If you're into resolutions, goals, uh, or setting intentions for the year, I would challenge you to incorporate Activating on Your Love of Memphis to that list. So whether you start volunteering, you could apply for a new Memphis Leadership Development Program. Um, You might serve on a board or even taking care packages to a neighborhood school or teaching ESL. Um, There's no shortage of ways you can get involved in your community. And this 2023 could be the year that you change our city for the better. So a little bit of housekeeping. This is Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR brought to you by New Memphis, a local leadership development nonprofit whose mission is to develop, activate and retain talent to the city of Memphis. One such way that we do this is through this radio show, where our goal is to educate the community on innovations, opportunities, and individuals who are making a difference. This is a friendly reminder that a TEDx Memphis 2023 is just around the corner. It will be held at Crosstown Theater on February 11th, and basically it's one month from today, dear listener. Um, Our theme is Truth or Dare, and you can head over to newmemphis.org or... TEDx-Memphis.com to purchase tickets, see the speaker lineup, and much, much more. Um, I have a special co-host with me today in the studio. Say hello. Hello, everybody. This is Laura Beth. Laura Beth Davis joins me to have this lovely chat um and we are excited I'm excited to have her in here because I'm still kind of getting my sea legs back being in the studio
1: after a lovely holiday break so oh, happy to join you yes. always always especially uh when we have such great partners like Tim and um you know Cushman Wakefield in the studio so very very delighted to be here
0: yes always good um I would ask your listener that if you like what you hear uh, on Meanwhile in Memphis every week on our radio show or podcast, that you give us a five-star rating, write us a glowing review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and most importantly, that you subscribe to Never Miss an Episode. Um, On that same note, if you know someone who has a compelling story to share about how they're transforming the Memphis community, send us an email over at info at newmemphis.org. We welcome feedback and reviews
1: there as well. So, if I'm in the studio, I'm going to have to ask for a donation. So you can get your uh, gift into New Memphis early this year and make a donation at newmemphis.org slash donate. I love it. I love it. I love it. I know that we
0: kind of laid it on pretty thick at the um, end of last year, our lovely season of giving, but there is always, it's always a good time to give a donation. Start out strong this year. To New Memphis. Um, So... Like we mentioned earlier, we have a special guest with us, along with my special co-host Larbeth. So, our guest today will be Tim Rollins. Larbeth, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about who Tim is?
1: Yes, I'd love to. Tim um, is entirely too young to accomplish this much, but <laughs> um, but it, it's he he has a great uh, portfolio and um, resume, and he manages special projects and strategic planning for Cushman and Wakefield Commercial Advisors. He's aided major corporations, the U.S. Army, and small businesses over 500 million in commercial real estate analysis, acquisitions, management, and construction. Tim founded the real estate department for Sertera Wellness, a nationwide multi-billion-dollar health and wellness boutique. Uh, he's worked for a Fortune 500 company, and uh, he's he's a captain in the Army of Engineers. He led a five-man team that oversaw 35 million in construction throughout Kabul, Afghanistan. Wow! Yeah, that's amazing. So he has a lot going for him, obviously.
0: He serves many
1: communities. He does. And we're lucky to
0: have him serving the Memphis community.
1: We are. Tim is a commercial real estate expert with a subspecialty in strategic planning and serves as a director at Cushman Wakefield Commercial Advisors, where he leads their development consulting with a focus on nonprofits and small businesses. And we're eternally grateful to him for that. He earned a bachelor's in real estate from Georgia State University and a master's in accounting from Western University. Tim started and ran his own consulting company for several years before settling in Memphis and accepting a position with one of his then-clients, Commercial Advisors. Yay! Welcome,
0: Tim. Welcome, Tim. So now, without further ado, here is Laura Beth and Mai's conversation with Tim Rollins. Welcome, Tim, to the studio on this fine Tuesday morning in January. How are you?
2: Very well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Good, it's our pleasure to have you here. Um, so I'm going to start off with kind of a softball question.
2: That's good, I need yes,
0: those. kind of get you warmed up. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you and what brought you to where you are today?
2: Wow, that's uh, it can actually be a big question. Yes, take it, it can, that way. Yeah, <laughs> maybe like the Spark
0: Notes version, then
2: sure. Um, so I am the Director of Strategic Initiatives, as you probably already said, at Cushman Wakefield Commercial Advisors. Yes. Um, Most of my job is around helping nonprofits and small businesses with community development. Um, A lot of these projects are ones where, generally speaking, you have an organization that has a great idea. They have a lot of love and passion for doing something, but what they lack is a lot of real estate expertise on how to make that happen. And so that's generally where I step in and see if we can help them come up with a plan that makes sense. Um, how I got here actually is a pretty roundabout path. Ultimately, my wife took a job at St. Jude Children's Hospital. A great organization. Yes. She's a, she's a neuroscientist there studying how certain microRNA can lead to schizophrenia
0: whoa. Yeah. Big job.
2: It is. Um, and it's one that I was very happy to support her in because she was always great about supporting me and my crazy things I did before I got to here to Memphis, which we love. Um, before that, initially I've always been a real estate guy. It's who I am at my core. Um, I did it. I actually started interning real estate places before I even got out of high school.
0: I was about to say, how young are we talking? Like 15,
2: (laughs) The, the, the love started to spark then. Okay. And Got my degree in real estate from Georgia State University. Ended up joining the military where I was for four years as an engineer officer. So even oh, there, awesome. I didn't get re- get away from it. Um, afterwards, I worked for a number of years for a big Fortune 500 company. Um, but I was just moving money around from one wealthy person to another. Hmm. It was fun at first, but <laughs> uh, eventually it seemed very hollow. Okay, uh, And so a... A college buddy of mine came and said, Tim, we're starting a medical cannabis company. I need someone to start my real estate department. Will you do it? And I said, yes. And so it started out as four of us in this two desk office in some incubator space in Atlanta. And eventually we grew up to over 500 employees across the country. Wow. Yeah. That was quite the ride.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say, what made you decide to jump off that one?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, as great as it was, it was, I mean, it's like, it was like starting any other um, business, possibly slightly crazier. And that I was working 80 hours a week. I was never home. Oh. Uh, even when I was home, I'd get calls at 2 a.m. Be like, hey, this giant cannabis farm with millions of dollars of product just lost power and it's all going to die. And how do you save it? And after a few years of that... Um, and
0: you decided
2: <laughs> when my wife got the offer yeah. for St. Jude, we're like, OK, maybe we can step back from this a little bit. OK, uh, which ended up being a panic moment for them. They're like, no, no, we're not. We're not ready for this.
0: You're not allowed to leave. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was
2: almost what they said. Um, and so what, what I did was I offered to start a, my own company and do consulting work for them until they got on their feet. I did that for a few years, (laughs) started getting new clients, starting hiring employees, and all of a sudden, I'm right back where I started. Yeah, I was about to
0: say, that that evolved quickly back to where you didn't really want to be.
2: Exactly. Uh, So I ended up getting lucky, and one of your TEDx speakers, uh, Rashawn Austin, Mm -hmm. she offered to hire me on as a consultant here. And so I did work with her for a number of months until I started working with some more clients, including commercial advisors, Christian Wakefield, and... They eventually offered me a job doing what something I enjoyed and is much less stressful uh, all the time.
0: So that's a win-win. It is. Yay. Awesome. So you are not a native Memphian, but a chosen Memphian.
2: I am a chosen Memphian. Okay. I, I, we really love the city. It's a wonderful place. Lots of soul and way less traffic than Atlanta. Ah,
1: that's what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, but I love that it's. we always find that a lot of people relocate to Memphis because of a spouse or their partner or, you know, being close to family. And, um, you know, just making sure we keep you here and keep you happy. It's a making huge goal sure, of our yeah. Job.
0: Making sure that everybody knows that there's something to do mm-hmm. and love about Memphis. Yes, I love it. Okay, so you already hit on your role at Cushman Wakefield of Commercial Advisors, but is there something that you would want the average Memphian to know about your work and why it's important to our city?
2: It's it's so the first part of that question, something that I'd want an average Memphian to know. I I was actually contemplating that. I was like, I'm such a behind the scenes person. Like sometimes most people who are developing the projects don't even know I'm there sometimes. Um, And I love that. I, I like, I like being someone who supports yeah. each, each individual pieces and I get to jump around a bunch. Um, however, to the second part of that, like how does this impact our city? I think there's two big ways that, that, that we do make an impact. Okay. Um, the first one is placemaking. And so a lot of retaining talent here in Memphis, um, a lot of. Creating an environment and culture that people want to come to is creating places. And so sometimes this is big, obvious ones. So um, the Central Hotel and Arrive Hotel and Memphian, these are all great examples of new boutique um, build outs that make the place more special to visit. Um, But this is also true on a neighborhood level. So I'll give you an example. We help Port Relief find all their sites. And so we just helped them do their Orange Bound location. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: great. Yeah.
2: You walk through the building and actually get a tour and they will, they will show you how they have put so much thought into every single piece of their classrooms, of the building as a whole, of how you walk down the hallway and get to your locker room. It's wonderful. Um, but from the outside you still get pieces of that. Like you drive by on your own park Avenue and a lot of it is not in the best shape yet. uh, One day. Um, But you get to where Port Relief is and the building is warm. It has a house feel. It starts to light up the street you're you're driving down, which makes it easier for people to live in Orange Mound. Um, And it makes it better for people to live in Orange Mound. And, it actually plays well into the things they're already trying to do. Like they have uh, my cup of tea, which I love. Oh, my yeah. cup of tea.
0: We've had them on the podcast. Yeah, they're great.
2: Exactly. Like them being there, and then you starting to make places for them that play into what they're doing and the brand they create for Orange Mound. It, it's powerful, and it starts to build on each other. So that's that's the first thing I think real estate and community development have have a big piece. Um, the second one is real estate professionals themselves. Um, it's it's funny. There are plenty of places in this country, in this world, where you can make a lot more money as a real estate professional than Memphis, Tennessee. If that's all you're after, maybe you do go someplace else. But I don't think that's what most people are after these days. Um, I, I even, I've, I've got a story for this one. So about six months, I was having lunch with a senior lender at one of the big banks here in Memphis. And one of the things I loved that he started talking about was after decades of doing this and all the multifamily projects he's helped to do and all the office projects he's helped to do, he can drive with his family every day and they never not pass projects that he's done. But he says the only one they ever mention is Crosstown. He says that it's not the ones that made a profit. It's one that made a difference that they remember. And I I think that's true for a lot of people. A lot of people, especially Memphians, are looking for purpose and impact. And when we do more projects that have these things, we attract and keep more people that care about these things.
0: I think it's interesting, too, that you pointed that out, because I do think that one thing that a lot of people who come on the show have talked about is that Memphis is a place that you can kind of get in on the ground floor and kind of get your hands dirty and that you can make an impact you don't have to wait it out or wait till you're you know further along in your career or more experienced in xyz field to be able to impact our community and so it feels like that's more accessible here in memphis and i feel like a lot of memphians are craving that and that's one thing that keeps them here that retention piece
1: we should wake up every morning and ask ourselves what can we do today that's going to be purposeful and impactful
0: Yes. Especially as we enter this new year, I feel like this is a time of like resolutions when everybody is kind of deciding their intentions, if you will, kind of for the year and what they're going to do. And so I think that goes back to that a lot. And like, Mm -hmm. what are you going to make central to your focus and your theme? What are you going to incorporate more of, even if it isn't right in front of you? What are you going to seek out this year? And I think making a difference in whatever field you're in, like real estate, um, for example, um, is exciting to think about. I agree, so you mentioned a little bit in how you got here that you were in the u s Army, correct, correct, so you had time serving overseas, correct. Can I you did. tell us a little bit about that?
2: yeah, absolutely, so I ended up getting out of the army as a captain, but at one before that, I was what we call a butter bar, a first lieutenant it's like the, the lowest you can be an officer okay um, and so I was an and a butter barrel, first lieutenant, sorry, a second lieutenant, engineer going into Kabul, Afghanistan. Okay. Um, and so I ended up leading a five man team. We'd go into communities, meet with their leaders, figure out what they needed and build them uh, schools, roads, greenhouses, those types of things. Wow. Yes.
0: What was that? Did that, um, did you have any kind of misconceptions that were kind of debunked in that? Or did you have any expectations for what that would look like? And were you pleasantly surprised? Uh,
2: um, so flying into Kabul, I was probably the second most scared person in my family. Uh, second only to my mother. <laughs>
1: um, I, as someone who has children, I can imagine Yeah, that was not easy for her. <laughs>
2: uh, that, so I mean, my conception was some, somewhere along the lines, I'm my, you know, the vehicle in front of me is going to get blown up and I'm going to have to jump out and try to make my way to safety somehow. Um, so that didn't happen. So I will say that that was debunked and I'm, I'm all right.
0: Yay. Um,
2: but what did happen was one encountering a level of poverty I'd never encountered before. Um, so, to kind of set the stage before we went into Afghanistan, the average lifespan I believe was in the early forties. Um, infant mortality rates were the highest in the world. literacy rates were lowest in the world. um you go into Kabul to at least then, and you can almost imagine a city built for half a million people housing four million um and wow yeah and, and so you'd trash, there was no infrastructure. So trash would just kind of pile up on the side of the street and there was no power. So you'd see the, the, like a rack of lamb, like literally they just skinned the the leg of a lamb and hung it in their doorway. And they'll just cut pieces off of it for a few days. Um, and you'd see people lying in the streets or children going through the trash, looking for things for their family. And so that, that immediately hit me because it was, it was a part of Afghanistan, which I sort of intellectually knew existed, but n- had never seen.
0: It's kind of that, you have to get that heart and head like exactly. to marry together. That's, yeah, that would be different to know about it and then to see it mm-hmm. yes. and to be there, boots on the ground.
2: And so as, as scary as my job was sometimes, it was also wonderful um, because I had the great pleasure of being able to go into into these places and try to do something good for them. Um, do something that's actually helped them, made their lives better. Uh, so that's at twenty five. Like, how often do you get the chance to do something that impacts thousands of people? Uh, so that that was that was wonderful.
0: I love it. Well, also thank you for your service. Right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I volunteer with another nonprofit here in Memphis called uh, Forever Young Senior Veterans. Yeah. So we help uh, veterans over the age of sixty five go on trips of honor. So I've been to D.C. They've been to Normandy, Pearl Harbor they are going back to Vietnam and things like that. So, um, it's been really interesting and really rewarding for me to kind of help a generation kind of heal in that way that didn't have a lot of access to mental health, um, resources back in the day when they returned home. So I very much appreciate your service.
2: No, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, and thank you. It's, it's also amazing the support, um, that exists today for, for veterans. Like, the only in my in my mind, the reason that exists is because somewhere along the way veterans were coming home and they weren't getting that support and they they decided that they weren't going to do that for future generations um, and it just became a part of our culture more and more yeah and so i i'm I'm honored to be a part of that
0: I love it. Um, so you mentioned seeing kind of poverty in a level that in, in a way specifically that you hadn't ever really encountered in a face to face way, but can you tell some of the lessons that you learned through your experience and how it helps to kind of inform your community involvement today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, there's, there's actually a, a number of them. I won't start with the biggest one yet. I'll actually start with a smaller one that, that still kind of resonates with me. Um, the very first school we went to, they had a. To keep in mind, these are these aren't really big schools, even though some of the words I'm I'm will use to make them sound that way. But there was a wing, to the school. <laughs> a wing, <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, which is probably a generous way of calling it. But there was a wing to the school that had become structurally unsound, and so okay. they couldn't hold classes there, um, and there were. Thousands of kids going through school every day, one that we would think would only house I mean, maybe a couple hundred. And they just do it in shifts and, and push it through. Wow. Um, and so I remember on the very first that very first meeting, they had one of the elders had taken us up to the floor where that was and he was showing it to us. And the translator was kinda talking through things to with us and he was very nervous that we were going to come in and do a project, and it was going to end up being unsafe for the kids um and so I said to him that you would never we would never build something that would harm the children, yeah, and you immediately see like his shoulders relax and him get calmer
0: oh and his
2: voice change um and that moment stuck with me it It stuck with me because. I think the biggest thing he really wanted was someone just to listen and to say, hey, I hear what you're saying, and we're going to respond to that. Like, if he had been unhappy, it probably wouldn't have changed the project much. Um, But it changed it for him. And I think we need to do that with communities here. And we do a lot of the cases. Yeah. Um, where When we go into these communities, we definitely need to be listening to them and hearing them. And sometimes people say things that... I like to say that people express their needs from their context. And so sometimes the things they say aren't things that are practical or that necessarily make sense right now um, or that actually move the ball forward in a way that's most impactful to the neighborhood, but they're coming from places that have very legitimate needs. And we need to hear the underlying piece of that and translate that to a path that gets them where they need to go.
0: I really like that. I can definitely see that. Yeah. Like if I'm frustrated about something, the solution that I might have might not make the most sense or the most impact right away. But yeah, understanding that if someone can hear whatever I'm saying and turn it into what actually needs to be done is exciting. Um, You mentioned you had a couple of other examples Uh, too.
2: So probably the biggest one um, that was an exciting one for me in in getting to try to tackle it was um, we were doing a lot of, let's call them hopefully long-term solutions um we were doing things that were very infrastructure focused schools and roads um we ended up at one point a general came in and was talking to us and he was kind of explaining the situation the broader situation this was like a room full of engineers that do exactly what i'm describing uh, day in and day out and it basically turned out that we were the unplanned consequences of our good intentions um at the time, 50% of the city was employed. Okay. And 30% of those people were employed by us. Oh, no. Doing these projects.
0: Like, yay, but oh, no. Yeah. I yes. see where this is headed.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and we're pulling out um, the majority of our folks in a few years. And we, we, we know it's coming. And we know we're about to lay off you know, a third of their workforce, effectively. Yeah. And so his question is well, how do we start to solve this? or at least make things better and mitigate it. Yeah. Um, and so one of the... My very small piece of trying to solve this is I actually started um, proposing a new type of project. Um, instead of doing projects that simply address the need, which we still wanted to keep doing some of those, let's also start doing projects that empower the communities to improve themselves. Okay. Um, and so we started doing ones that actually turned to profit. So greenhouses, for example, um, this is up cobbles up in the mountains. They they only have so so long during the year that they can grow for, and it's only so efficient. Um, if you build them a greenhouse, they can grow all year long, and then grow more. And you give that to the community; it feeds more people, but it also they have excess they can sell off. The money is produced, and because we worked with like the University of Georgia back here and some other like private citizens who volunteered their time, we designed one that they. could build themselves. And so it was easily replicable.
0: Oh, I like that. Okay, yeah.
2: And so by doing that, they could continue to build upon each thing that we did. And so we did greenhouses, we had workshops to, for like small community community manufacturing areas. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, affordable housing. So we can do more more housing for the communities. And we actually made them like Legos so that if a community was like, hey, we've got this at-risk population, we really need a place for them, you could do like a couple of workshops and a couple of pieces of housing, some greenhouses and combine them all together with walls, which they have a lot of walls there. Um, and, and all of a sudden we've got an infrastructure for that.
0: Interesting. So you said like as the shift, kind of a priority shifted. I mean- Not completely. The priority was still needs-based. Yes. But the way you went about it kind of changed. Yes. So how does that look today in Memphis for you?
2: So I would say there's two pieces to that. Um, One is going into neighborhoods. Um, I like to say we have to be servants, not saviors. Mm, Yeah. Um, And so our role, if we're really doing the best we can, it's not coming in and just building something or just doing something it's finding leaders and organizations that are already in these communities that are organic to these communities and doing things with them to empower them Uh, and so that's that's really the first big piece and then the second piece i think there is is that empowerment is when you do a project um especially from a real estate perspective, you un- you need to understand going in, there's actually two things you're doing. So like if you read in the news that a new school has been built, there isn't one asset that's been built. There's two. So there's a school organization that does a wonderful thing for that community, but it's also the building itself. And have we designed that building in a way that it is adding to the value of the neighborhood? Mm. Um, and so a simple and great example um, is there's a piece of property that we were trying to build out, um, in, in Sillsville. Yeah. And this project didn't end up working out for for several reasons so we were able to pivot into other things, but the building that the corner where this was located, the building, you know, was pretty much gutted. It wasn't in poor condition. So we developed a plan where we could purchase that with a local organization. They would own the building and then, we'd renovate it and put in a local bakery that had been trying to expand out and wanted to stay in the neighborhood. And so the bakery, who, by the way, exported most of their goods out of Soulsville, so they were, they were not dependent upon the low income and small traffic that you get in a lot of these neighborhoods. Um, they were able to be sustained, and then the owner made, made a small profit, off of that, which they could then turn around and put into other programs they're doing, some of them that weren't profitable just because of the nature of those of those projects.
1: Cool.
0: Interesting. Um, if you have just tuned in, dear listener, we are chatting with Tim Rollins, who is the Director of Strategic Initiatives at Cushman and Wakefield Commercial Advisors. Um, yeah, that's really exciting. So you've hit on it a little bit earlier um, with the retention piece, but I wanted to specifically call out the kind of intersection of your work and the New Memphis mission, which is uh, how does your work help develop, activate, and or retain talent to the city of Memphis?
2: You're right. I, I, I did hit on that pretty hard. Um, I would say if I was going to add to that answer, yeah. Um, outside of the placemaking, outside of the... Than inspiring people, I would say I'd probably actually look towards how we build up the next generation. Um, if I if I was going to talk about it, because that, that's I I usually average about one lecture a quarter, um, and it's generally towards people who are trying to become new developers or architects or okay. urban planners. And these are always groups that are very excited, but they're rarely very excited about, oh, I'm going to build an office building someday. <laughs> they're, they're really excited about, like, how can I make a difference in my neighborhood? Um, and, and the most excited ones are ones who are not just a neighborhood. It really is my neighborhood, the neighborhood I, I live in now or the neighborhood I like or I was born and grew up in I can move back to. Um, and helping not just those who are for the, for whom it's very personal, but also helping the ones who it's not very personal, who have no experience with those types of neighborhoods, um, to understand some of the pieces we're talking about today around listening to people and being able to get to the core of the problem and being able to recognize when there's an issue and you need to bring in other folks to help you out. Like they're the tip of the spear. And so as they grow up and they go, grow up into their career yes. and, <laughs> and they go out to uh, meet with some of these nonprofits and organizations and for profits that want to do good things, them being able to see this and recognize this and listen appropriately, that's the only way you're actually going to make a scalable difference.
0: Okay. So listening has played kind of like the through line to a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today. So, um, what is one way that Memphians can kind of get involved in this kind of work? Is there like a call to action that an average Memphian who wants to make an impact, um, can kind of step up and try to incorporate into their 2023 resolutions?
2: That is a very fair question. Um, On the real estate side, at least for me, it's it's hard to say, oh, yes, just show up at our office. <laughs> um, but what I will say is that there's two pieces. Um, one is all these great organizations that, that are out there, um, they're already active. They're already trying to do wonderful things. They need volunteers and they need donations. They need people to come out. Um, but also they need when they have a great idea for someone to not say don't no, don't do this, they need someone to say, Oh yes if if you have a plan for this and this makes sense, and it's a measured step where you you know what you're going to accomplish and you've done enough things where you've built up to this and it makes sense for you to do this they should be they should be promoting that and supporting that um, and then on the organization side um, if if you get into a point where you have bought purchased a piece of property or you have come up with a great idea or you are trying to make a difference in your neighborhood and you have an organizational level way of doing that um, don't think you have to do it alone um, be willing to ask for help like if you actually start go out and start to build a development team which if you're doing development you should um, then inevitably if you're building a good team those people are going to know more and more people and you'll build a large enough network where you end up coming up with this the know-how you need to, to move forward um, I will add by the way a common misconception the know how you need to go forward doesn't isn't necessarily just the know how you need to to design a building and build a building. It's also how do you generate the plan and the pro formas and the financials to go along with all the, that fun stuff so you actually know it is sustainable in the back end, which is a very important piece. Uh, it's not enough to build it, and it has to last.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. So I heard the call to action is to be able to kind of show up and ask those hard questions of people to make sure that, you know. I feel like so I would call it being devil's advocate. I feel like that's something that I enjoy doing, like in a meeting and being like, well, have you done this is what about that? What if this happens? What about that? We tried this before and this happened. And so how are we going to solve for X and things like that? So being really actively engaged in your community and being able to speak up, but then also knowing when to ask for help and kind of banding together. Is that right?
2: Yes. Okay. I, I would. I would love all that. Uh, that would make my job so much easier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can I go back for a second? Yeah. Remind me again how long have you been in Memphis.
2: I've been in Memphis for five years. I've been working in Memphis for three.
1: Okay. I feel like you've accomplished a lot in terms of service to the city in a short period of time. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I'm
0: curious. Speaking of that, like, what what do you think your greatest accomplishment of 2022 was?
2: Oh, so this is this is an interesting one because you know, the twin side of that is what's the biggest challenge. And that's always the easier one to answer because you immediately think of, Oh, this is all the things that went wrong this year and I had to try to fix. Yeah. Um, as a company, I'd love to talk at some point more about like the good things we do as a company, but as, as a company on the positive piece, um, One of the things that stood out when I first asked this question wasn't actually the biggest accomplishment. It was just one I thought was really nice. And that was, um, we give 10% of everything we make to charities. We have a foundation that we, we use to go out and try to do focused good. Um,
1: and I will say, um, commercial advisor supports our educator engagement work. We have a program for teachers in their first through third years, and um, so I think education may have been one of your focuses this year, yes, or in twenty twenty two. Still Ed- living in the past? No,
2: it's okay. Uh, education is actually yes, that is one of the key focuses of the foundation uh, every year. It's it's very important to us. Um, but this year, one of the things we changed is we started focusing in. Uh, more on individual organizations, especially ones that distributed those dollars mm-hmm. out to wider impact. And so like slingshot Memphis, yeah. new Memphis, like a lot of these wonderful organizations out there that are focused on measurable impacts that, that touch other organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, which by the way, is never one of my key criteria when I start talking about community development is partnerships. Um, you don't want a development that stands alone. You want a development that solves multiple problems at once. Um, and so I generally try to look for ways that you can have one project that solves multiple things and brings in multiple people. Um,
0: that makes sense. Okay. Yes,
2: I could go off on a tangent on that. I'm going stop. <laughs> uh, but yes, we, I've loved the focus that we've brought to this year with those organizations. And then we've also tied a lot of our giving to having to be involved Um, on a company level, whereas before before we always had a criteria you had to be involved at least on a personal level. Uh.
0: That's neat. Wow. Okay, so you already hit a little bit, but you knew I was coming for the biggest challenge. So how are you kind of remedying whatever frustrations happened in 2022 to kind of remedy those opportunities? That's what we like to call them here at New Memphis. We like to call them opportunities because every challenge is just an opportunity to kind of level up and be greater. So, how are you kind of pivoting for those opportunities in 2023?
2: Yeah, so that's that's been interesting this year. Um, development has taken a hit because construction prices have gone up, interest rates have gone up. A lot of things are harder to do than they just were the year before. Yeah. Um, and so, on the for-profit side, you're seeing this, you know, pretty much immediately. Um, some things that are going forward that have very strong fundamentals are still going forward, but a lot of like industrial development that we've seen the biggest booms ever the past few years have pretty much stopped. Um, not in a bad way. We we still have plenty of, we've we've (laughs) built so much and we still have so much in the pipeline. We're doing just fine. Okay. Um, but people are putting the brakes on because they know they kind of, they read the writing on the wall. Yeah. Um, on the on the nonprofit side, this is true too. I mean, in some ways, it's true more than ever because these are the tightest projects to do. Yes. Um,
0: Very little margin. Yes. We <laughs> We're used to that. Very tight margins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing the most. we we like to pinch those pennies till they scream.
2: That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it hit hardest actually, and for me, at least, for in spring of this year, where I had. One project that was seeing like 15% increases in costs, which they hadn't planned for, and so we were having to retool there. But I had another one that was seeing it much harder to the point where not only were the construction rates and interest rates making it hard to do the project at all, but because those things were rising, one of their grant applications was actually canceled altogether. So the grant money that had been set aside for projects like this ended up getting funneled back to previously funded projects just to keep them afloat. Yikes. And so That's it,
0: hard, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And so I've been doing a lot of retooling this year to try to take these projects from ones where they would have to maybe wait until after the stuff passes to ones where maybe they can start taking steps and still move forward.
0: I gotcha. Um, what is a project that you're excited about for... The rest of 2023, is there something that you kind of have your eye on that is maybe your white whale, so to speak?
2: I don't know about white whale. I do have, <laughs> I do have a couple of them that I'd love to see cross the finish line. Um, I've got a, a clinic down in South Memphis, which I've been working on for the past year to get them to a, a great plan that they can move forward with. Um, that would triple the amount of people that they help right now. Uh, I would love to see that happen. Um, I've got a, I'm doing, I'm helping a client try to do workforce uh, uh, training center, um, which would be a big expansion to the existing space. I'd love to see that move forward. Um, So if we're talking white whales, the one that I'd really like to see work, but is really getting challenged now um, is, it's actually a mixed use project in Soulsville. I, I love Soulsville, by the way, it is my favorite neighborhood. I'm sorry to all the other neighborhoods because they're, they're wonderful <laughs> sorry, too. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> uh, they are absolutely wonderful too, including the one I live in. Uh, but Soulsville is just such a fascinating and wonderful neighborhood story on every street corner. Um, and so one of the organizations I'm working with down there is South Memphis Alliance, they do amazing work. Um, but I'm all, they would love to build out a site across the street to do like, Community theater and affordable housing, and be able to house some of the nonprofits who want to move into the neighborhood, and all sorts of things. Um, it's it's not a crazy project. In fact, if you'd asked me 12 months ago, I would say that it was an extremely reasonable project. And it's just today, it's it's a little hard to to move forward. And so we're fi- trying to find that way to make it all click. And I'd love to see that happen.
1: I think those are exciting projects. I think so. Soulsville is fantastic too, and. Um, like the history and, you know, just, it's really, um, you know, I've, I've, when people don't go through and visit and, you know, if you're local to Memphis and you're not checking out, you know, your neighborhoods that are, you know, near us, um, or near you, you know, like get out there, explore people. There's always something to do. But we'll keep our eyes peeled for those projects because they sound really exciting.
0: (coughs) Sorry, the one before almost just made it worse. You just so. need yeah. a bowl. Of, you need a bowl of cough drops right here because
1: I am not sick, but I feel it coming every once in a while. Maybe just I don't yeah. know. <coughs> okay, let it out. Sorry, sorry, Henry. You're gonna have to edit that out. Mm.
0: Okay. So one, um, you mentioned that you wanted to chat a little bit about commercial advisors. So here's your opportunity, dear listener. Turn up
2: uh, the dial. I, I, <laughs> I can all add all that. to it too. If you need me too. <laughs> Just I I did just want to – I don't want to make it the conversation all about me just because I'm part of such a great team. like So the reason that I ended up getting the consulting gig with uh, commercial advisors to start with that led to the employment offer was uh, at the time they had something called community advisors, which was a, a, like an offshoot of commercial advisors. Its only purpose was to serve – nonprofits and do community type work. Um, it was, uh, let's just say it's the, it was not profitable. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they worked very hard to break even every year.
1: But they gave it a shot though. And that's what. Yes, that matters. Yeah.
2: Counts. Uh, yeah. Well, so, and, and their main, in fairness to the organization and to community advisors, their main goal was helping people, uh, not, not necessarily making a bunch of money, but they right. were, you know, they were trying we to. We know, we do all know that they,
1: they do do a great job of helping all of all of us nonprofits all across Memphis. So, yes. yeah, pretty
2: So at the time, their lead, the leader of that um, that branch was Greg Spilliards, mm-hmm. and so oh. yes. yes, and so Rashawn introduced Greg and I, um, and we started talking. And he got excited about some of the projects I wanted to do. And I got excited about some of the projects that he wanted to do. And that's how I ended up meeting uh, Larry Jensen, who at the time was the CEO and is still the founder. Um, And it sort of kind of spiraled from there uh, or rolled up from there positively. Spiraled in a good way. Spiraled in a good way. There you go. Um, But one of the things I loved was one of the things I think it showcases what kind of organization it was, is when Larry Jensen decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to kind of pass the buck, pass on the baton, I'm going to move where I'm just a broker and, and, and sort of over the board, uh, they ended up bringing on Greg to be the CEO. And I think it says something about a company that they take probably one of the least profitable departments and they choose the person who's running it because he cares more about people than profits. And it there is no community advisors today um that organization that's piece of our organization no longer exists except for the fact that it weaves itself throughout all of our organization um and you you see it this year and and every year from the big projects like saint jude and working with shelby farms to the small ones like south memphis alliance or port relief Um, and going to work every day and being able to work with type of people who for them it, that's important uh it's the best company i've ever worked for
0: i love that it kind of quote unquote went away i guess in that way but at the same time it basically just it was absorbed stopped, yeah it just it stopped absorbed. being separate is essentially yeah. what it is it just yes. like yeah yeah it just got absorbed into what everybody does all the
1: time it's a great culture to um, be part of
2: absolutely i, I agree
0: Okay, so one question that we ask all of our guests is, what does it mean to you to be a Memphian?
2: So, I'm a born and raised Atlantan, originally. Originally, I'm Memphian now. Um, Go Falcons. Yes. I'm a Falcons fan, so. Oh, there you go. See, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> even if they, they keep dropping the ball at their
1: <laughs> We can have a sidebar nope. conversation. Uh, <laughs> no fair weather fans here.
2: Um, so I loved growing up and living in Atlanta. Um, I loved it as a city and I promise it's coming back to Memphis. Um, <laughs> but it's such a large city and it's grown so much as so much momentum that having an impact and being a part of Atlanta is very difficult. Um, you, you kind of just fade into the background in some ways.
0: Yeah, because I so, get swallowed up. <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, here in Memphis, well, that's easy enough to do if that's what you want. Yeah, it's not necessary. This is a small town in a big city. Um, you know, it's easy to get tied into it if you really fight for it, mm-hmm. um, and it's easy to have easier, like easy, relatively speaking, to have an impact here and a larger one. Um, and not only that, but I've found that the people of Memphis have a very distinctive personality that seems to sync well with my own. And the places here have a personality that we actually seem to cherish and to try to grow rather than to grow over. And I love that. Um, I also like being able to get to work in 20 minutes. Um, that's nice too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> A nice thing to have. Yes. Um, okay, so now it is time for some of our listeners' favorite uh, segments, which is our lightning round. Oh, are you ready? Okay, let's i did, do it. I did not send these questions to you in advance. So, oh, no. yes, I know. Get excited. Okay. If you had not gone into the army, which other branch would you have chosen? <laughs>
2: I know. Uh, I'm like it's asking you. To, I'm, I'm going for the Navy. I like the water. Um, I feel like that's like I would have
0: not guessed that. I feel like you are such arch rivals these days, but
2: so uh, I mean, if you're talking sports, then yes, then yes fine. Uh, but, <laughs> yes,
0: fine. I mean, you do all play for the same team, America. So, <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, we all we all play for the same team, which is why the next thing I'm I'm about to say are not actually hits on any of these organizations, but the Marines always had more of a brainwashed feel to them. <laughs> Which they're wonderful people. My one of my closest friends. Anyway, um, yeah, we. I, I actually won't send that to him. Um, <laughs> I, so the, the Marines were quite the right fit for me. Air Force was a little too lax, and I, they weren't doing fun things to me.
1: I have a, I have a sister-in-law and two brother-in-law brothers-in-law in the Air Force. A cousin in the Air Force. Two cousins in the Air Force. What I but for? also have some in the Navy, Marines. Yes. My, granddad, my dad was in the Navy. My
0: granddad was Navy. Uh, I have a friend who's an Army wife, and her dad was a Marine. Uh, so Kelsey, Joe, this one's for you. But her dad, before they got married, said that Army stood for "Ain't Ready to Be a Marine Yet."
2: That's that's okay. <laughs> I've, I've got a few Marine the, jokes. The, the little I rivalries I quite, I are, are always rough, so funny to me. though. It is, but it's like it's like brothers. Yeah. Um,
0: you just pick on them because you can.
2: Yes. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the battle. There was going bam get so wrong. It starts with a C. It's the battle of like Chesapeake or, or or Chapaluca, something like that. It was down in Mexico during like the War of 1812. It is the craziest battle if you ever read about it. Like you will find like U.S.S. I I, I promise you, like U.S.S. Grant was actually on the top of a tower, like firing down upon people as they tried to charge in. Like it it was it was crazy it's crazy how many people you'd recognize their name from being participating in this battle. But one of the big things I always remembered is um, there was a point in the battle where they were trying to take the fort on top of the hill. And they'd gotten to the point where the engineers, the sappers, so my guys, they had gone in and they would gotten to it where they could get people into the hall, into the actual fort. And it was the Marines charged in and over the course of their charge and taking the fort, they lost like nine out of 10 people. Like it was crazy. They just wouldn't stop. And no matter what happened, the Marines kept going in. And the funny thing about it to me is when they charged, it was army soldiers that were charging behind them and next to them. Um, and so yes, on the one hand, we make fun of each other all the time, but on the other we're brothers. Yeah. Um it's family. And today that actually that battle is commemorated in the Marine song, the Halls of Montezuma, oh, is yeah. one of the first lines. Uh and so it's oh, just remember. Oh yeah,
0: okay. Yeah.
2: So their their song actually also ties to one we fought together.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, that makes me nice. excited. Okay, this is still a little bit uh, service-related. What is your favorite or your most recommended, if you don't have a favorite, MRE?
2: Oh, my. Um, <laughs> that's never a good one. Wow, it's it's been a while. I think the ravioli was my favorite one.
0: Okay. Um, I was about to say, maybe you wouldn't jump straight to favorite, but the most recommended. You were the most excited if you got this.
2: Oh, so back when I was in... Like, you would eventually break down into, like, what you got into the small pieces. So, like, the worst one, by the way, was the breakfast one. You never wanted to get the omelet. That was, that was not good. Okay. Um, but uh, you started to, like, prioritize, like, this one has the best candy, but this one has the best sides, and this one has the best entree. I want to say the ravioli had the best like for me, the best like all of, overall.
0: Okay. So at one at some point or another you would get down to like the the rejects of all the MREs and that would be one meal. And that was like the least exciting, like all the little pieces that you had left out of all the yes. others.
2: Yes. Um yeah, cuz the first thing that most soldiers will do is they'll they'll cut them open and they'll like um it's the actual term is not appropriate. So I'm trying to figure out they we we Tear them into little pieces and take all the stuff we like the best and like we prioritize when we're going to eat them.
0: Ah, okay. Yes. Um, so changing gears a little bit, what is the song that is stuck in your head today?
2: Uh hold on, I got it. I got it. it's by Bonnie Ray. Um, uh, it's I Can't Make You Love Me.
1: Oh, that's a little depressing for
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the new year. <laughs> one on, let's uh You've got to pep but it that up is a, a good one. Bit. Yes. That is a good one. So uh,
2: I I I wish we could say that the the second one that was stuck in my head was a good was even better, but it's it's colder weather.
1: <laughs> well, you know,
2: we are in January. Yes. So we've got that going for yes. us. I think that, I
0: It, think it that is fits. on brand. It's just yeah. a it's little it. dreary.
2: Yeah.
1: I think it fits.
0: <laughs> um your favorite way to get plugged in, in Memphis.
2: Um so I like your newsletters that you send out Yay, thank nice. you.
0: I'll pat myself on the back for that yeah, one. Yeah, you should. Yeah.
2: Uh, so that, that's nice. And was it I Love 901? Yes. I, I go on their blog for like what to do for the weekend. That's, okay. That's good.
1: They're awesome. Me- yeah, part of Memphis Travel, tourism. Yes, they do. I love
0: Memphis, and then She's 901. Everybody, we love them all. Uh, best barbecue place in Memphis?
2: Good. Oh, that's... Um, overall, the best ones, I would say, is, is Central. Okay. Um, but... Depending on what you like, you might like to go to other places. So, like, I think the barbecue spaghetti at the barbecue shop is better than the other place.
1: Yes. I would snap if I could snap my fingers, but I don't think that would... You yeah. could hear that. I'm with you on the barbecue shop. Yes, the
0: barbecue shop. Okay.
1: And then uh, my last one is, why should our
0: listeners come to TEDx Memphis 2023
2: Oh, man. I mean, you've got a great lineup this year. We do have a great lineup.
0: It's going to uh, be good.
2: So, I, I would... I would think that you'll, one, I think if if the speakers do a good job of speaking, sticking to like your brand, the True or dare thing, I think that could be a lot of fun. Um, and two, uh, I will plug Rashawn. She's a wonderful person to hear speak. Uh, one, because she's very passionate and knowledgeable. Um, and, and two, just because she has a wonderful presence when you, you hear her. So I definitely think people should show up for her.
0: So she's worth the price of admission right there, ladies so. and gents. Okay. Awesome. So... I think that was all of my questions for today. Do you, do you have a 2023 resolution? Are you, are you all about resolutions or are you kind of like me?
2: So it's funny. I'm actually the one um, responsible for, in my organization for making sure all the teams and, and the company as a whole sets goals. Uh, so, But the, the, the challenge of that is once I start setting like 15 teams goals, uh, I inevitably get behind on setting my own. And so that was coming, but it's not quite here yet.
1: How many goals that so you have me wondering? I have questions now. I might not have before. Like, do you have different goals, like a number per department? Or is it like you're like, oh, we're going to have three to five goals this year.
2: So I let, they set it by priority, but I, you're not allowed to have more than seven. Okay. Um,
0: That seems yeah. Because more than that is
1: not.
2: You should have at least. Then you're not
1: focusing on anything. Exactly. When everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Yes. So you should have
2: three to seven, and and preferably they all break down into quarterly goals that you guys can follow and track.
0: Thank you for that. Yes, Yes, I I need to get my life together. It's already mid-January, and I feel like I need to, you know, subdivide my (laughs) my goals accordingly.
1: I feel prepared now, though. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Uh, Thank you so
0: much for joining us today, Tim. It's been a delight, and I have loved hearing about the kind of similarities and the nuances between community involvement in other countries and also how we can kind of incorporate that into being developed and activated like Memphians here and making sure we're kind of getting
1: out into our community, rolling our sleeves up. Absolutely,
2: yeah. this has been a pleasure. I've, I thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I know. yeah. I wanted to say thank you to um, Memphis. is lucky to have you and um, your wife. What is her name? Because I need to know her name. Kristen. Kristen. Well, thank you, you, Kristen, Kristen? for yeah. all you do over at St. Jude. Yeah. 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 Um, and we're of course grateful to commercial advisors. They support the new Memphis mission and um, and our Stride program. Yes, and our educator retention yes. program, also TEDx Memphis too. So community outreach as well, um, which y'all do a lot of great. Um outreach as well, and all the nonprofits in Memphis are uh, very luck, lucky to work with you too.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you.
0: righty. bye What a fun episode, Larba. Thank
1: you so much for being in the studio with me today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to um to join you. Yes. so much fun.
0: and I got to learn more about uh, Cushman Wakefield commercial advisors and what they do for our community. I I knew that they had seen their name as sponsors around some of our stuff and a lot of other stuff in the community, but I would, I did not realize that the robust foundation that they had, um, they do, which yes. is really exciting to kind of learn more about. Um, and then of course, I'm always a sucker for an, for a veteran. So mm-hmm. um, really love to hear about all of his army service and the ways that he incorporates his experiences into making sure that our community here in Memphis is thriving.
1: Yes, I agree. It was so great.
0: I love it. So um, a couple of end of show announcements. Please be on the lookout for the Memphis Flyers 20 under 30 honorees, which will be announced soon. You can nominate for LDI, Fellows, Embark, Accelerate, and Stride by heading over to the New Memphis website, newmemphis.org, to learn more, or you can follow along with us on social media, at The New Memphis. So I would love it if you just go ahead And pull out your phone right now and go on over there and give us a follow and subscribe to our podcast. So until next Tuesday, Laura Beth, bye. Bye Bye-bye. We'll be seeing you. We will be seeing you. (laughs) This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.